How many of you saw this uh, headline in the news this week? Titled, Mississippi Man Kicking in Body Bag Back from the Dead. Sort of. This hit the wires back uh, last week, actually. Here's the story. A Mississippi funeral home says it found a man alive and kicking in a body bag hours after the coroner pronounced him dead. Walter Williams was pronounced dead Wednesday night after his pulse stopped, but funeral home employees found him trying to kick through his body bag Thursday morning. Williams started to move right as the funeral workers were getting ready to embalm him. He was rushed to the hospital and is now in good condition. The coroner said Williams' pacemaker had stopped working and then restarted, which could explain his pulse stopping. Eddie Hester, Williams' nephew, said Friday, Williams is in the hospital and breathing without the help of a respirator, but he's too weak to talk. It's a miracle, Hester said in an interview. I don't know how long he's going to be here, but right now he's here, and the whole family is glad. Wouldn't you just love if they have surveillance video in that funeral home to see the look on those guys' faces when that body bag starts to move? Or wouldn't you just love to hear the phone call that funeral home director had to make back to the family? Uh, There's something that's changed. This raises all kinds of problems. I mean, it happened on a Wednesday night, so you know they announced it at church, and now they've got all this potato salad they got something to do with. (laughs) Everything changes with a story like this. And you can imagine, when you read Luke 24, that same sense of shock and amazement and confusion when these ladies walk up to the tomb on Sunday morning. You see, sometimes I'm afraid that preachers are guilty and and we're all guilty when we read scripture and we see the story of the resurrection, frankly, any story that Jesus uh, does his amazing work in, that we see this story and we are shocked that they don't believe. And we're kind of hard on the people. Yeah, I've preached sermons from Luke 24, beating up the people in Luke 24 for not believing in the resurrection. He tried to tell you, you should have known. But let's be honest, if that were you that Sunday morning and you walked up to that grave and you heard an angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Would you have believed Part of me says they should have. I mean, Luke chapter 9. Jesus had raised Jairus' daughter back from the life, uh, back from the dead. She was alive again. They'd seen this before. They had heard Jesus in Luke chapter 9 tell them that the Son of Man's got to go to Jerusalem, suffer and die by the hands of chief priests, and on the third day rise again. He told you this was going to happen. And part of me says they should, have, they should have known, but they were too busy arguing about who's going to be the greatest. It looks interesting. In fact, most of the gospel writers, every time Jesus says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and die, the next story always seems to be, hey, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they miss it. 
And they should have heard, I'm going to be raised the third day. So part of me, part of me when I read this story, I look at the ladies and I think, well, of course he's raised. He said he would be raised. And I look at the disciples and I say, you should have known. There's no surprise here. It's all part of God's plan. But the other part of me realizes, I'm not sure if I had been there, if I would have got it either. This is shocking. Dead people don't come back to life. Not until now. So I wonder if that had been us walking up to that tomb, if we would have believed. Now the text is interesting the way Luke tells the story. You notice first the ladies in the story, they go to the tomb and their purpose is to anoint the body of Jesus. They're not going to the tomb taking these spices just in case he's still dead. They firmly believe he's still going to be dead. Because history tends to show that when you put a body in a tomb, it stays there. They're not going with spices just in case. They saw him die and they believe he's still dead. I love Luke's telling of the story. Those angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What a great great question. They didn't expect him to be dead or to be living. And so they've come with spices. When they go back and tell the disciples, listen to verse 11. Verse 8. When they hear the news, Luke says, their words seemed like idle talk. And they did not believe them. Would you? Everyone knew where the body was. Everyone knew where the tomb was. Everybody saw him die. And they do not believe these ladies. I don't know if I would have either. I would have wanted to believe it. But these things just don't happen. Verse 12. Peter runs to the tomb, looks inside, and the text says he is amazed. This does not mean Peter came to faith yet. Luke has used this word elsewhere. When Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees as to why his disciples don't wash their hands... The text says the same word, the Pharisees were amazed. His disciples didn't wash their hands. When Jesus is questioned about taxes and he gives his answer, Luke says that the antagonists were amazed at Jesus' answer. The fact that Luke says Peter is amazed does not mean Peter has come to faith because he peered into the empty tomb. He's just amazed right now. But Luke is about to tell us how you go from being shocked and amazed to being a true believer. On the one hand, you would expect them to have believed this. But on the other hand, I can understand why they don't. Some scholars have mentioned that this is great evidence for the the truthfulness of the resurrection story. That if you were going to make up a story, if, if, you were, if this was not history, 
If we were just writing a lie and this is a fairy tale, it would have been a much better story, number one, to have someone more reputable and prominent than women to give the announcement. Sorry, ladies, but in the first century world, most of you couldn't testify in a court scene. And to put the confession, the first statement of the resurrected Lord on the lips of women is not the way you would lie about a story like this in the first century. And it would have been a much better way to go about this if the first thing the apostles did upon hearing the news were to say, well, of course, of course he's going to be raised. He told us he would be raised. But they struggled with this themselves. And before we're too harsh and too judgmental on the disciples, again, would you have believed? Even if you had peered inside the tomb like Peter... And saw where they had laid him. And saw the, the cloths. Would you have walked out and said, he's raised? I have a feeling we would have struggled just like they did. And the reason I think that is because some of us are struggling in our faith even right now. Despite all the things in our life we've seen God do for us. It's hard to believe sometimes. And the question that I think Luke is calling us to ask ourselves. Is whether or not our faith is in a moment of sheer amazement alone. Or strong belief. Because there is a difference. Lots of people were amazed by Jesus and lots of people were impressed by Jesus and lots of people wandered around the the Palestinian region with Jesus but not many of them believed in Jesus. How is it you go from just amazement to faith? And that's where Luke's story turns next. It's a familiar story. It's unique to Luke, but it's one of Luke's most endearing stories. It picks up in chapter 24 and verse 13. Now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What were you discussing with each other while you were walking along? They stood still, looking sad. One of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women from our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. 
Some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the things that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of scripture. As they came near to the village where they were going, he walked ahead of uh, them as if he were going on. They urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has indeed risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. I think Luke has a way of telling this story to make a point. That there are a lot of people both in that day and in our day who are standing amazed at all the things being said, struggling to come to faith. Luke knew that. He knew there were people in the first century world who were struggling to understand that God had raised his son. That his son had to suffer to begin with. The very concept that the Messiah was going to suffer and die was totally foreign to first century world. We haven't found any theologian of the first century, any rabbi, any priest, any scribe who said, you know what, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be killed by Rome. And the third day he's going to rise again. So part of me can't blame them for not immediately understanding this. But the question that Luke is asking and the question that some of us are struggling with, how do I go from being amazed at Jesus to believing that tomb was empty and he sits in glory today? You might expect, Luke would say, just take a trip to Jerusalem. Just walk into the tomb and look, see for yourself. It's not there. But that's not Luke's answer. Peter tried that. And Peter still wasn't at faith. The women themselves were there. They saw the angels. They saw the the tomb. They saw the stone. They didn't see the body. But they still struggled to believe. How do you go from amazement to faith? You might be shocked at the simplicity of the answer. I love this story of Cleopas and another disciple. Some have suggested this is Cleopas, the one named in John chapter 19, and the other companion may have been his wife, Mary. It may be husband and wife walking along, talking about everything they'd been through in the last three days. They had gone from hope to hopeless. In a matter of hours. 
They're walking on the road and Jesus walks up to them and they don't have a clue it's him. What are you guys talking about? And Cleopas, Cleopas who's obviously been watching CNN and reading all the newspapers, looks at this stranger and says, where in the world have you been? Don't you realize what's happened? Everybody thought this, this Jewish hope and Jewish faith had come to the culmination and then the one we thought was supposed to restore and redeem everything, he's dead now. The ladies reported it. We, what's going on? And Luke, if you read closely enough, tells you how to go from amazement to faith. You want to do that? Do you want to go from being on the outside just impressed with Jesus, just an admirer of Jesus, to someone of deep, committed faith in Jesus? Do you want to do that? Jesus starts by opening up Scripture and explaining everything that Moses and the prophets had said about him. There are a lot of people who know scripture, but they don't know God. But it's impossible to know God without knowing scripture. Because scripture is the story of what God has been doing since creation. And when Jesus says on that discussion on that road, when Luke tells us he, he started with the scripture and he explained everything, I don't think Luke is suggesting that Jesus found a few texts that seemed to hint at what he was going to do. Genesis 3.15 said, I'll bruise his head. Isaiah 7.14 said, I'd be, bru- I'd be born of a virgin. I don't think Luke is just saying Jesus handpicked some of these prophecies. I think what Luke is telling us and what Jesus is telling them is that Jesus is the fulfillment and the culmination of everything God has been trying to do since the beginning of our Bibles. Since before creation itself. If you want to know God's intention for creation, if you want to know God's intention to redeem man, if you want to know what God's intention for all of us is, you look at the story of Jesus and you'll find it. What happened that Sunday morning, what those ladies reported, what those disciples struggled to understand, is that Jesus was the fulfillment and culmination of everything. He had to suffer and now he's raised to glory. You find that. When you encounter God's word. And you read scripture with an eye towards Jesus. Let me push pause and stand on a soapbox for a moment. I love our brethren. And I love this church. And one of the things I like most about Wilshire is that if Jim Baird or I ever stood in this pulpit without opening God's word, we would not be allowed back. I like that. I like that in most of our Bible classes, when we come to study the Bible in Bible class, guess what we're studying? The Bible. 
And that's because our elders and our church and the tradition of this congregation is this same belief that Jesus shares. That if you want to know God, you encounter him through his word. That we find the story and the culmination of history recorded on the pages of this book. Listen, as a preacher, I'm not opposed to quoting other people. I read lots of people. It's fine to share stuff. But on Sunday morning when God's people gather, they need to hear God's voice. You can hear Oprah and Dr. Phil Monday through Saturday. You cannot hear God in the media. That's why when we as his people gather, we open his word and we listen to his voice. That's why I encourage you to open your Bible outside of this church building. To read God's word when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're driving down the road, play it on your, on your radio. Find a way to listen to God's voice. Luke is saying, if you want to move from sheer just impressed with Jesus and amazed with Jesus to a deep faith, you notice these disciples said, it was when he started explaining the word. Moses and the prophets had been talking about Jesus and he helped us see he is who we've been waiting for. He showed us from Scripture that all of our longings and all of our need and all of our desire are fulfilled in Him. And if you want to move from sheer amazement to faith, you've got to spend time with God's story. If you read Luke closely enough, he gives you another way. I love the way he tells it. They're still struggling to come to faith and knowledge and understanding. Jesus pretends to be going a little further down the road. And they invite him for dinner. And he walks in, he sits down, and the guest, the guest at the dinner becomes the host. And Luke purposefully uses the language he does. He's an inspired writer. And he's got a story to tell. See if this sounds familiar. It's Sunday morning, or it's now Sunday evening. A group of people are seated around, and one of them, he takes bread, he blesses it, and he hands it to them. And a few moments go by, and the host, again, he takes a cup, and he gives it to them. Does that sound familiar to you at all? When those verbs are used on Sunday, as they've already been used in Luke before, Luke says, Then their eyes were opened. Do you want to move from just impressed and amazed to true faith in a risen Lord? You share his meal with him. You know why we meet every first day of the week? To take the bread, to drink the cup. Is because we seek to be more than amazed. We seek to be true believers. And Luke says, that happens when we share this meal. 
I want you to notice something else in Luke's telling of this story. I'd never noticed before studying it this week. Luke uses the same language that was used in the first time it was ever described of someone eating in Scripture. You remember that story back in Genesis chapter 3? When Eve took that fruit, she bit into that fruit, and the Genesis writer tells us her eyes were opened. And now in the first meal of the new creation, when we take of this bread and this cup, Luke says those disciples' eyes were also opened. But what they saw is a different world than what Eve saw. When Eve's eyes were open, she saw a now fallen world. When we, through our eyes of faith, share in the meal, our eyes are open to the new creation, Amen. to the new possibilities, to what God in Christ is beginning to do. Part of me can't blame them for not believing. You watch your news, you read your newspapers, you live your own life and look around your own world, and you too will find it hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard. And I think we need to be careful when we read Scripture and when we fellowship with each other and we see a brother or sister struggling in their faith, we need to have grace and we need to invite each other back to work to God's Word and to the table. Because that's where you move from amazement to faith. It's one thing to sit in this building surrounded by these people and to do the same things. But what would it be like if tomorrow when you walked in to work and your boss or your fellow employee says, how's your morning? And your answer started with, He's alive. All is different because he's alive. Amen. Better yet, what if we lived our lives believing that we serve a God who does raise the dead? That we serve a Savior who has been raised from the dead? And that one day our graves will rip open and we in our new bodies with all the saints will stand and serve a God who raises the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Let's go to God's word. Let's sit at his table. And may we be a people not just amazed, but a people filled with faith that God has kept his promise in Christ Jesus. I want to invite you to become a disciple of Jesus today. Maybe you're still stuck in the amazement and you need to come to faith, we'll share God's word with you. And we will pray for you that your eyes will be opened to give your life to Jesus Christ in faith and baptism. And if you are a disciple today and you're struggling between amazement and true faith, come back to the table. Come back to God's word. 
and know that we serve a God who keeps his promise powerfully through Jesus Christ. We invite you to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ while we stand and sing.